just want to give you guys a quick heads up here. This is part one of two of me versus uh, my sister on black community and some opinions we got about it. Uh, just want you guys to give a you know shout out to her and you know really thank her for coming in and you know again this this interview with her was about three hours long and I broke this one up so a little short synopsis she works for foreign affairs uh, if you guys want to learn more about her job and what she does and how you can kind of get into it and some of the things that she's been doing please check out the playlist below um, but this part here is really just us talking about the black community and our opinions on it and some of the things going on within it. Uh, but yeah, you know, part one of two. So if you have any questions, feel free to email me, leave a comment. I'll be scouring through it and, you know, hope you guys enjoy the short story. But I've had somebody where I've knocked on the door. No one came to the door. I did my job, left, went to the next house. I get back to the office and I get pulled to the side. And one of the dispatchers said there was a complaint that the homeowner checked their cameras. I guess it was one of those ring deals or whatever. And their ring camera cut off because I was there to swap out the electric meter. Oh, it was a wire connection. Yeah. yeah. So they, they they lost their connection. They were freaking out, blah, blah, blah. But they said I didn't knock. That's what their complaint was is I didn't knock and I didn't show my badge where I work for the company. I didn't show it. So they didn't know who I was and why I was on the side of their house. But they pretty much figured out it must have been from the utility company. So, of course, they called, made the complaint, and then they called again a day later. So the next day. And apologized because they spoke with the person across the street who was a retired officer, old guy who watches everything on the block. And he told her, yeah, he got out of his car and he knocked on your door. And when he got out, I can see he had all the stuff on. And so she called and redacted what she said. And it's like that goes to show similar to the other earlier in the conversation. You never know who's watching and who's listening. You don't know who's in that room. You don't know who's behind you unless there's a mirror. But even then, are you paying attention? Did you catch that? And, you know, that's partly why even in my industry, it's like you got you got to be on your knees and t- or you got to be on your your, your uh, what do you call that? P's and Q's. You got to dot all the I's. You got to do everything right. And it doesn't take much, yeah. you know, especially when you work in the skilled trade. You got to wear your PPE, your protective personal protective equipment. You got to do everything right. It takes seconds to ruin your life. Yeah. It's it's that. And you have all the tools. It just sucks. In relations to, you know, the children, because I, I, I want to do a lot for the community as well. And that's partly why I'm doing this interview. That's partly why I do a lot of interviews, because I want to share knowledge with them, because it's really hard. Like you said, when you have someone who's older, who doesn't know how to navigate in these spaces, they can't always give that knowledge to somebody, especially if they don't even know how to look that knowledge up. Right, right. So yeah. that's partly why I want to do the podcast. That's why we're doing this part of the podcast. And that's why I'm doing the interviews. And. All that to be said, I think it's really important that we do navigate now moving forward, especially in our community, with sharing more knowledge, especially to our youth. You know, I got a cousin that would say this this generation is lost. (laughs) The Gen Z's, they lost too. the one after them. We can do something, though. We can help. I mean, I don't think Gen Z's are lost. I don't think millennials are lost. I think we're hard headed. Don't get me wrong. But. I want to do as much as I can for Gen Z's and, and the generation after that. I want them to have this knowledge. I want them to understand it. Um, I want them to be able to kind of navigate in different spaces and different careers, different jobs, know how to get into there. You know, and again, you know, it's really tough, too, because when you're in school, they don't teach you the things that are really necessary. They teach you the things that are going to get you through, you know, like basic math, if you paid attention Reading skills, if you paid attention, science, so you don't burn yourself when you try to touch the stove, you know, but 
they don't teach you that, hey, when you when you're at an at a job, you gotta pull your pants up. You yeah. gotta you gotta dress right. Yeah. You can't you can't you can't always talk a certain way when referring to a customer because you never know. That customer might come in every other week and really like you and say, Hey, my job's hiring if you're interested. You know, that just stuff like that. You can't people don't get that that chance. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> so do you think that um like do you think that there's a problem with people like sagging or like like oh. dress codes and stuff. Like, do you think that's an issue? Like, I'm talking about outside of work. Like, do you think oh, that's an issue? Huge issue. We can talk for hours. If you if you want to talk about my my personal opinion on the issues, I got a lot. Okay. <laughs> but I do think it is a huge issue when it comes to our our people how how people dress in general. Okay. How people conduct themselves and present themselves is a huge part of it. I don't care what anybody says. I'm gonna be honest with you. If I go to a store. A gas station, if you literally look a certain way, sound a certain way, and act a certain way, how do I know you're any different than somebody who was there to rob the place? If you like, let me let me rephrase that. If you at a gas station, yeah, I need you to run that back. Okay, okay. <laughs> if you at a gas station, you got a ski mask on, how do I know you're not somebody that's gonna walk into the gas station and rob it versus COVID. somebody who's minding their business? COVID. Keep no, no. <laughs> I, I, ain't, I ain't trying to hear none All of right, that. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. <laughs> two things uh i lost the first one so i'll do the second one um i was at a bus stop once i'll never forget this i was at a bus stop one morning and there was these two young um men they were in high school high school age they were Mm -hmm. black young boys and i was heading to work and i was like man they ain't up to no good because they ain't (laughs) even at school (laughs) right like i had like this whole like thing set up for them right so i'm standing there minding my business i'm Ain't up to no good. I don't even speak to him, right? And one of them says, "Good morning," and I said, "Oh, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right?" And in that moment, I was like, instantly, like, "You wrong. You're wrong." Like, I'm like, "Good morning," and I was like, "Why aren't you in school?" <laughs> right? Like, I was like, well, "You going to school or nah? Like, what, what you on? Right? Let me. I'm going to school. I just can't stand first out." I was like, "Bro, man, you gotta go to school, right? Like, super cool kids. Like, no, they ain't trying to bother nobody. Like, they just ain't go at school. <laughs> should be at school. But the point is, and that was the moment that I realized, like, you can't look at somebody and assume what they got going on." Like I knew they weren't in school, but I assumed because they weren't in school that they they had no home training, that they was gonna mm. be, you know, rude. They was up to no good. Blah, blah, blah. Like I had thought about things that weren't even relevant in that moment, right? And then I even apologized to them for not speaking because like they didn't deserve that, right? Now, that's not to say like that situation you shouldn't be smart and keep your head on a swivel, <laughs> like you know, when you out in the street, but. I'm saying that to say, like, you know, we make a we are visual beings. And so we do make a lot of assumptions based off of our first, like, encounter with someone, like what we mm-hmm. see before they even open their mouth. But, like, we got to be careful because I think that we don't always show our true selves on the outside. Right. Like I go to stores sometimes raggedy. And I don't. People probably don't even know, like, could never really. Sometimes I don't think people could guess how much what I do or how much I would make because I don't dress like that. I'm pretty, I like to be comfortable. <laughs> so I go, to, 
I go with Crocs and sweatpants and a t-shirt and they probably, she raggedy. Yeah, probably, but I probably made more than you. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because like, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to communicate. Now I did hear hear that I need to go to the grocery store and be more cute, but that's like (laughs) a whole nother thing. But I agree to a certain extent. I do think that there should, you should have a certain way to dress in a workplace. And the reason I'm going to say that is not in a discriminatory way, but because people are visual beings, they are going to assume and have their views of what you're bringing to the table based off of your attire. And I also say that I have a white male mentor who also said you need to keep your attire on point, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not saying white people get it right all the time, but I'm going to listen to him, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because he did pretty well for himself. and. For them, like for black people, we always get into spaces and we got to dress a certain way. We got to act a certain way. We got to be twice as good, three times better, right? White people, what sets them apart in the workplace isn't all those extra things we got to think about. What sets them apart is their attire. Some of them can dress, some of them can't. Some of us can dress, some of us can't. But the man that comes in and wears a suit every day is going to catch the attention of somebody Mm -hmm. in a good way. Dressing for success. Yeah. I I will say this. I ain't see no man in a ski mask pick up no old man that fell down. I'm going to say that right now. I I mean, how it. many people have you seen pick up an old man? Pick up an old man? I've seen two people in a ski mask around somebody who fell and not do nothing about it but laugh. And one of them <laughs> took out their phone and started recording it. Were they Gen Z? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. They were wearing a mask. <laughs> they were a ski mask. But I, I, I agree, too. You know, to an extent, I... I Again, I'm a firm believer in dressing for success, right? Yeah. You could be comfortable, you know, but there there's a line between being comfortable, sagging, being really loud, you know, things that aren't necessarily necessary. But I think you also got to think about freedom of expression. Absolutely. Right. So black people struggle with having autonomy over our, our culture, our bodies expressing. And so we found ways that aren't always um we aren't always in agreement of how to go about it to express ourselves and everything like that. Like I hate Gen Z music, right? Like drill music. Like hey, they hey, don't no, no. They, talk about the drill music. I don't like drill music. <laughs> and it came from Chicago, and it's like a Chicago thing, right? Like whatever. But um, I don't like they love songs. Like they don't got no sexual in windows. Like they just get to it and tell you everything they're gonna do to you. Like it's explicit. I don't mm-hmm. like it. Right. Don't like their music. I love them and they get on my nerves sometimes. <laughs> I love them because they don't play mm-hmm. like they don't take mess off of people. And we're like the millennials are like the cusp of the last group of people that take stuff that we don't need to take. Like we got a little bit in us that like we'll take it only for so long. Mm-hmm. Gen Z be like, we ain't going. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, I ain't doing that. Like, I'm going to be an influencer before I do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you don't pay me enough for that. Yeah, nah, like, nah. I'm going to go on TikTok and just do a little, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, they're not going to sit there and put up with the stuff that we put up with. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> over the years and stuff like that. And so... <laughs> And so, like, that's the thing that I like about them is that they will tell you what they're not going to do and they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, whereas like we'll talk about it for a little bit and then be like, yeah, and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, yeah, there's something to it when it comes to, um, to them. I think each generation brings something. Right. Something new, something different. Yeah, and it's value in it, right? Like the baby boomers. I love baby boomers. I think they funny. Yeah, I love baby boomers. I love, I love, you know, Gen X. I think that's the one before us. I yes. don't know, seventies. Yeah, Gen <laughs> X is first, and seventies or early eighties, yeah. and us, and then the kids after us. Like, you know, everyone has like their thing. Socrates was talking about this. Back when there was Socrates about the next generation is going to be the death of the new, you know, like uh-huh. they've been talking about this for like centuries, how the next generation is always the detriment. I am going to say Gen Z got us a little shaky. Not going to lie. Scaring us a little bit. They scaring me a little bit. Like there's some <laughs> stuff that they got. Some, I'm not going to say it on record. We talk about it when the camera's off, but there's some stuff they do. I can't quite get with. Like I'm mm. like, mm, okay. But. Again, like at least they have they they stand firm a lot of times on the things they believe in. I have much respect for that. Absolutely. I I don't know. I I I'm just afraid they can't like, count though. Yeah. They can't count. I'm I'm more I'm more or less afraid for like where where they're going to go, the directions that they're heading towards. Like you said, every generation has its ups and downs and progressions yeah. and, and you know, blah. But Especially like just the education you had, right? They offered Chinese Mandarin. They offered Mandarin in elementary school. Yeah. I went into the same school, didn't get that. Yeah. You yeah, know, so, you know, stuff like that. It's like, how far back are we going to recede when it comes to our education and our in the children not being able to get those types of things? And that further, again, that's why I want to talk about the different jobs. Do you think that, do you think that it's the responsibility of the school system to educate that's a tough question. Uh, yes and no. More more yes than no. I think it's the responsibility of the parent to teach honorable, healthy morals and character. And I think it's the job of the school and the government to teach education. I disagree. Why? Because I don't think that the government can teach the things that I want my child to know about who they are. But that like, that's I'm not different. Gonna, I'm not going to rely, but that that is history. That's history, that's um, knowledge and things of sort that I don't think we should leave in the re- as the responsibility of our government, right? Like, I think that there is a level of engagement that parents should have in education in all, all subjects, right? Not just history, but I do think that it is the parent's responsibility to make sure and ensure that their children is being taught like they're being taught. And if they're not, you do have to supplement. Now, do the question, the other part is, do they have the capacity and bandwidth? Now, that's a whole other conversation about the black community with single families and things of that sort and having the capacity to do that. But I do think that if you truly want your child to get a quality education, that you have to be all hands on. I I don't want to say I disagree because I yes, agree and do. disagree. Yes, <laughs> for for the sake disagree. of the conversation, I'm going to say I have to disagree. And oh, I, yeah. But I only disagree because I truly think a lot of this starts from the home. It really does. I, I feel like, and, I, and I've said it once before, you heard it on the podcast. If, you, if you're a part of it, you've seen it before. But I truly believe we are no longer in a position where we can come up with excuses. There's only explanations. And we know the explanation. We know why. Right. It's every everybody knows why we are where we're at, even in our own community. 
Do they? Do yes, they? yes. You can you can't have a conversation with somebody, especially in this community, when they're going through the thick of it and they can't actively tell you why they're there. What do you they, mean? What do you mean by that? So okay, okay. Let's say um from a single parent home, they have reasons why they're there, right? Yeah. They may be ignoring it. They may try to throw off an excuse, but if you say, did you do this? The answer is no, and they knew that. They just didn't want to admit that to themselves. That being said, let's, let's expand that. Let's expand on that to the, to the school system. If you're, a parent, if you're a parent and you don't take the time to figure out what schools are best for your child by going to the, to the school, going to the principal, going on their website, figuring out what their our, our, uh, a curriculum is, if you don't understand what the curriculum is, it's your job as a parent to actively be doing everything in your power for your child to make sure that they're that they are getting that education. And if you're not doing that, you're failing as a parent. Aren't we saying the same thing? But here's the problem. You're saying I, the, our government, our schools don't have that capacity. So you have to do that. No, I didn't say they have the capacity. I said I'm not going to rely on them. But that, see, that's the problem. I'm saying you're a parent and there's other parents. School systems are a community. You as a parent need to do everything in your power to make sure that you're networking with the other parents and instilling that that knowledge is being passed on to your children from the school system. That's going to the, that's going to the school district or what do you, I forgot what you call it, the, the board of school, whatever they call it. Yeah, but school board, school board of education, superintendent. Yeah. So you go to them with all the parents, at least 70% of the parents, and you tell them, America's history is black history. Black history is American history. You need to be teaching these things. That sounds very good. In practice, in yeah, theory. Exactly. I just to, in practice but, and in theory. But let like, me tell you something. You know what also sounds very good? You sound just like that one person that was a part of the tea party that didn't want to throw the tea in the harbor. But they did it anyway. No, but what I'm saying is, is that like I agree with you, right? So I don't have anything that I disagree with. But I'm saying though is, is that like, capacity and bandwidth right mm -hmm. so if i'm a single parent most likely i'm going to be working longer hours which means that i don't have as much time to be like involved in the community maybe right mm -hmm. now everybody's good at managing their time right mm -hmm. and now everybody knows how to manage their time in a way that's effective and so like people ask like how you do so much or whatever like Things slip through the cracks sometimes because Absolutely. I got a lot going on. And also, I get a lot of stuff done or I do a lot of stuff. I don't have kids. Right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm single and I don't have a, I'm, I'm single. I don't have kids. People with kids and other commitments in their family may not have the capacity to be as actively involved as I am or be able to be at all these places at all times. They may have to work during the time that the community meetings are happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I have a meeting for the commission, um, in my neighborhood for my ward and it's during my kickball <laughs> <laughs> games. Right. So like, but I can move that around. But what if that was during the time my child need to go to after school to tutoring or, um, Taekwondo or whatever. So am I supposed to prioritize, that over my my child's extra extracurricular activities when I'm the only parent that can take them there because I'm a single parent. So I got a couple of responses to that, and it all fits. It's super simple. This is where I say that we in our community, because I, I think we're talking about our community in specific, but yeah. um, we in our community need to do more for our community, right? There's no reason why we can't build a center where we can trust that our kids could be bused. With what money? 
our money. You can't say the black community doesn't have any money when we got billion dollar industries utilizing money from us. We have the money. Yeah, but my but those industries are necessity. So as a single mom, you're telling me it wouldn't be a necessity to your life to know that there is a community center that you could have donated five dollars to maybe for the next year. If there's enough of us to donate just five dollars mm-hmm. consistently, maybe mm-hmm. every other week for a year, five dollars. And some people are going to say, oh, that's a lot of money. You'll spend five dollars on a blunt. People spend five dollars on some water bottles at a grocery store when they could have used tap water. We got the money. Or they are using um, food stamps and you buying the water with that. They got the five dollars. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it, I'll, you, I would be hard pressed to believe that even homeless people can find five dollars. And that that's a Don't and that's really stretching Don't take it. it too far. You took but, it too far. Bring it back. Fine. Either way, <laughs> we got five dollars. You got five dollars to go spend on some nails and some weave and all the other stuff. You got five dollars. If you got five dollars to go to City Trans, you got five dollars. Stop playing. But my thing is, is that you you here's the thing. Like people stay in black people's pockets. Mm-hmm. Don't nobody be in nobody's pockets as hard as everybody be in our pockets. Absolutely. And the thing about it is, is like, okay, if you want to get to like, let's talk about economics real quick and then, cause we're way off of where we're <laughs> supposed to be. But like, wealth comes through property. Mm-hmm. Let me say it again. Like wealth comes through land, property. Comes through assets, like corporations and businesses. Black people have historically done that. Mm-hmm. Black people have historically experienced other people destroying those industries that we've created to become billionaires and millionaires and wealthy. Mm-hmm. So I think that you have to think about the systemic issues that occur when black people do pursue wealth. Because it's not like we haven't. And it's not that we can't, but there is it's not as easy as you say. It is. I want to challenge that just a little bit. I'm it's, not, but it's not. All right, I'm not challenging the history of what happened to us. But it's still current. I'm not. I'm not challenging. There are still people who have generations that are like dealing with the trauma of those things. Absolutely. That what my challenge is is I ask you a simple question. Knowing the amount of power that we do have in today's market, you can't go into multiple communities, burn it down. And not have more than five, 10 people prosecuted for it, knowing that there's been an entire community. And I'm not saying other people didn't just come to that community and do it because they there were plenty of people, especially in Minneapolis. It was when a George lot. Floyd. It was mainly them. Black but, people didn't, weren't the ones starting those fires. They were white. That's when you see on, the videos, documented. though, there's been plenty of us that ran up in there and took it and ran out and they weren't prosecuted for the things that they stole. I'm saying I highly doubt that today. In 2020, I'm going to say even in 2020, you're not going to have a community of buildings that were bought, paid for, and owned by an entire black community and watch as somebody comes in and destroys it and not have a bunch of us standing outside ready to fight for that. I highly doubt. I'm only doubting that. yes, but I'm saying that. Wait, 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 wait. That's where my argument now begins. My argument now begins is how many more times are we going to continue to bring up what happened in our past, and I'm not I'm not denouncing or not acknowledging it. I'm saying we can bring that up as much as we want. It is real. Right. But when are we gonna do something about it today? But you have to remember, so let's 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 go into so now we're going into like the psyche of people. 
Absolutely. Right? Yep. And trauma. Like you're asking for people to ignore trauma that impacts the day-to-day decision-making that we make. You have trauma. I have trauma. People in our lives have trauma. Our experiences that have greatly and deeply impact, impacted them and the decisions they made and currently impact the decisions. They made. I'm a firm believer in therapy, right? Because black people experience a various levels of trauma every day and in the past. And the issue is, is that black people are expected to go through all these things and just do and not deal with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we're making decisions based off of all these past experiences that have deeply impacted us. They even have studies and we've talked about this. I feel mm-hmm. like on the phone, right. About how, like they say trauma can be passed down genetically. So like, I don't, I feel like, and maybe this is just me because I like love black people and I ain't gonna let nobody go hard on us. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I'm not making excuses for black people. I'm making a reality. Like I'm speaking the realities of the black psyche, which is like, we need healing before you tell us we have to do all these things. Right. I could tell you like, okay. Like for instance, like, a man who has daddy issues, like I could tell you be a better father. What does that mean? Mm. Right? Like, have you done the work to be a better father? Like, I know you could be a better father. I know you can like have a family and whatever, but do you have the capacity? Have you done the work emotionally to deal with the trauma that having a bad father has caused you? So that you're not making decisions based off of those past experiences with him. Because a lot of times when we're moving forward, we're trying to avoid whatever trauma we uh, like experience. But if we don't understand what tools we need to do that, like we're going to end up there somehow. Because whether we believe it or not, trauma also like there's a level of comfort that comes with and familiarity with it. Right. And so like there's like I don't want to take it too far. But, (laughs) you know, my point is, is that. You have to address things before you move forward. And you sound like white people when you say like, oh, how many times we got to keep talking about this? I don't know until it never happens again, because the reality is, is those things still happen. It would be different if it never happened again or if there weren't systems built around oppression of black people. And we literally just drop the ball every day. <laughs> like <laughs> that would be different. But that's not the case. Like we never came out of anything unscathed i i don't know i i would say that when when you talk about trauma and healing right there are so many there i would say there is a a defined amount of ways of healing at least scientifically yeah absolutely and one of those ways is if you got a fear of heights and let's say you fell at a young age and you really hurt yourself so now you got some trauma from from being too high one of the ways you can heal from that is jumping off of certain levels, maybe, getting a little higher, getting maybe. a little higher. That's one way. One way is talking about it, figuring it out, talking about the experience, how you felt about it. There is there is a certain amount of scientifically proven ways of dealing with your trauma. But it's we, not 100%. But here's the thing. We are at the day and age where we have talked about it, where we have tried to make changes and implemented changes. We've tried... We've tried only talking about it. That's not true. I'm saying that's where we're at. 
that's that's all we hear that's is is true. the conversations being built around it us trying to address some of the the, the institutionalized issues the systemic issues the pipelines that we come up with and and find i'm saying we we talk about it but are we really about it yes where in what areas i know a lot of people who are in the trenches making things happen and i would say that i'm one of those people trying to make things happen right Mm -hmm. but these are systems that have been strategically set up for decades to to withhold resources information and access and so you can't sit here and say like people aren't trying or the work isn't being done when i know people who don't get paid like my nonprofit. I don't get paid for my nonprofit. Like I do, we do a lot of the work we do for free, right? Like people are doing it, but I think that everybody does it differently. And let me say this because you said like jump off a cliff from different heights or whatever. I'm terrified of deep water. I can swim. I don't care how many different times you put me in deep water. The trauma of almost drowning when I was younger will never go away. I'm forever triggered. For me, I'm always going to be triggered by that feeling of not having control, right? No matter how well I can swim. That's just what it is. Because that imprint in my mind will always be deep water danger. (laughs) Like, that's just what it is. And so you can't tell somebody not to acknowledge trauma or they should be over trauma. Now you can tell someone to continue to do the work to heal. You can advocate for healing and in understanding, but no one can really make you like get over something. Like you have to make that decision and your psyche, right? And like it's, it's trial and error. What works for me may not work for you. Absolutely. But we're saying the same but I thing. I think therapy works for all people. I, I feel like we're with saying the right person. <laughs> I feel like we're saying the same thing. I just expanded on the the deeper truth of that matter. Your truth. Your truth. The truth, right? Because hear, hear me truth. out. You're saying I know people who who are in the trenches making the difference, right? So I'm saying, why is it only a few? Why is it not more of us? Why are we not? Why is not there's a lot. Okay. There's a lot, but a lot might be 15%. Why is it not 30%? Why is it not 40%? There's not that many white people doing stuff. <laughs> like, I mean, here's the mm-hmm. thing. Let's, let's, let's go here because I think, and maybe you just, me and you going to have two different views on it because I just, I'm unapologetic about mm-hmm. like blackness. And like, I do have my qualms with like the progress, the progress of black people. But like, I also am very aware of the systems in place that continue to, to obstruct progression right Mm -hmm. and like okay i'll give you an example like the community i live in it's not a food desert but our grocery store sucks right and when i'm walking around the neighborhood and i'm talking to the residents and i'm like hey what's on blah 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 black people gonna say safety security um my car getting hit (laughs) you know that kind of (laughs) stuff right and then, like, when I go to one guy, he's white. He's like, oh, the firecrackers, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fireworks. And, it, like, not this time of year right now, clearly, but, like, at the top of the year. And I was like, okay. And then he's like, develop it. I would like to see more development and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? I would, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I would, too. But the thing about it is, is that 
everybody in that neighborhood probably has been asking for that for decades and it never came. Now that we're getting more white people in that neighborhood, we're going to see it. Actually, it's happening, right? But there's a plan in place because with them comes resources. When I went to this one um, homeowners workshop, they said, this is what they said. They said, black people will leave out of the community with a crackhead on a corner and go to the suburb. White people will move into the community with a crackhead on a corner and move them off the corner. Mm-hmm. Right? And the in-between or what's in there is saying black people live there and when we ask for the crackhead to move, they won't move. The crackhead. <laughs> right? Because they, they, the way that society set up, he belongs there. Mm-hmm. It's like they think that those things belong in our community, so they're not going to move them. But when white people move in, that crackhead don't belong on that corner. Move them, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the white people got to be feeling safe when they go to the metro. How could we do this, right? I went to a party. I'm debating if I want to say this, but I'll say it. I went to this party, this holiday party at the end of last year. And I was there at this association. And one of the women, we were talking about a person, a, a man who was sleeping with a prostitute in the alley. Uh. Right. And she was upset about it. So she went out and confronted him. Twice <laughs> 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 right? went out and confronted him. She's going off and stuff. They get into a back and forth. And the woman, this white woman, she didn't call the like just 911. Like she had like the actual like command center or something number to call to report this guy. And she was like, Yeah, when I call, they put up my white woman voice. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. Right. Like she knew how to get resources into the community. If I called, when I called about the crackhead in my apartment building, 10 blocks away from that party, they took their sweet time coming to my building. I said, well, what if he comes in? Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, ma'am, you have to figure that. What? Mm -hmm. It was like he belonged in my building because I was whatever, right? So I'm saying this to say, like, we both advocating for safety or mine was more safety than hers both advocating for a certain level of comfort in my community. But because I don't sound a certain way, I get a different response. That doesn't mean I'm not advocating for safety in my community. She worried about prostitutes. (laughs) I'm talking about the crackhead. So like, I'm saying that to say like TJ, like you can't go by just because something isn't changed that there aren't people trying to change it. It's the question is, what are the what are the institute? How are the institutions responding to our request? Thanks for checking out Chocolate Espresso podcast. I'm your host, Nuair. I hope you guys enjoyed that content. Uh, feel free to give us feedback. If you know anyone or like to share anyone you ha- that you might have in mind, go ahead and hit that comment section. You can also email us at chocolate espresso podcast at gmail.com. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And we're going to try to push out as much content as we can every week or every other week. Thank you.